CCIRA podcast. Um, I'm very lucky to have Danny Brazell here with me. Um, so I'm going to let him introduce himself, tell you all a little bit about himself, and um, then we'll get started. Thanks, Molly. Thanks uh, to everybody, especially Jessica Rickert and the executive committee for inviting me to speak as the opening keynote speaker here at the 2019 CCIRA. This is, I believe, my third time at CCIRA, but this is my first time as a new resident of Colorado. I've lived in Los Angeles for the last 25 years, and I recently moved about five blocks down the street from where this conference is. And it's just been uh, really wonderful getting to uh, see all the teachers and administrators at this conference and being surrounded with people with the shared passion for uh, uh, reading and uh, really inspiring kids to love reading as well. So thanks for having me, Molly. Yeah. And so Danny and I were just talking as I was getting the podcast set up. Um, those of you who've been listening to the podcast know that I'm a science teacher in a middle school. Um, and so we started to talk about reading in a classroom, like a science classroom. And he was telling me a really cool story about how he and a teacher did like a little study to see um, if kids were going to take science related books or the fiction books more often. Did I get that kind of? Kind of. Yeah. So it's always kind of bothered me how we isolate subjects because you know, life isn't one subject at a time. You don't have just language arts time and science time, and you don't have just family time and just business time. Life is, is learning how to handle lots of different things. And so I did a study with an eighth grade science teacher who uh, we created two libraries. One was just a general library and the other one was a library with titles that were related to science subjects. And she was a big science buff and she'd constantly recommend students different books, uh, science related books. And so the study was basically to see which books the kids would be drawn to. And as we predicted, uh, kids almost a 10 to 1 ratio were choosing the science books over the regular books. And really the, the importance of that is just showing, uh, I mean, I've observed over 11,000 teachers in their classrooms and it usually takes me less than a minute to figure out what a teacher's interested in because the kids are interested in it. If the kids are singing, I know Miss Thompson's a singer. And if it's, uh, if uh, Mr. Garcia's kids are always doing science experiments, I'm like, oh, Mr. Garcia is a scientist. And so uh, that's really one of the important things for us as teachers to remember is that uh, the kids are going to. There was a commercial when I was a kid in the 80s, and it was uh, it was an anti-drug commercial. And this dad screaming at his kid. He found pot. And he's like, where'd you where'd you learn how to do this? And the kids finally had enough. He's like, you, dad, I learned it from you. And it's the truth. Uh, monkeys say, monkey do. And uh, uh, kids are learning from us. And so that's really one of the things I've been talking about this conference is how do we ever expect our kids to be readers if none of us are readers? And it doesn't matter what you're reading. What matters is how much you're reading. And so uh, if you're into science, Molly, you should be just the kids are going to feel your passion. Uh, it doesn't even have to just necessarily, the nice thing about eighth grade is you don't have to just confine them to books as much. Uh, you can be referring them to all kinds of uh, magazine articles and things like that. I mean, I used to give the kids uh, National Geographics because National Geographics are usually uh, one of the most donated objects to public libraries and public libraries have no place to store them. I and it's perfect for an eighth grader. I mean, think about it. It's one of the few magazines where the topics for the issue are on the spine. The articles are fairly short. There's color photography. And every now and then, if you're lucky, there's a naked person. So <laughs> it's a perfect uh, book for a, an eighth grade science student. And I will agree with you there. Um, I wasn't teaching eighth grade science at the time. I was teaching 
teaching sixth grade social studies. But you know, there's that day the modern teacher dreads when the internet goes down and the fiber optics line leading to my school had been cut by some construction. And I, you know, other teachers are panicking and I'm like, sweet. And I pulled out all my National Geographics and came up with, you know, like on the fly, this crazy little reading activity. And we read National Geographic in social studies and analyzed all the like charts and maps and graphs and, you know, just had a blast. And the kids were so excited. And it was just the best day ever that the internet ruined, haha, my, you know, pre-designed plan. Oh, but that's it was great. I loved fantastic. it. Fantastic. I loved it. The National Geographic story, I always hear, my pastor had said it, where it was uh, the dad was trying to occupy his son. And so uh, he uh, saw a map of the world from a magazine from National Geographic. So he ripped it out and he ripped it into little pieces and he gave it to his son to uh, try and figure out, figuring it was going to take his son forever. And his son came right back and he, he had done it all. And he's like, How'd you do that so quickly? And he's like, Well, there was a picture of a man on the back, and so I just put it together. And the the the, the message there was: when you fix man, the rest of the world will be put together right. So uh, I always like that story. That is a great story. Gosh, you gave me a, a reason to give that anecdote. I've always loved that. it's one of those inspiring Paul Harvey like anecdotes. I've always wanted to share. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm glad I could give you the yeah. opportunity. Um, so speaking of the world, you were talking about all the things you have around the world in terms of helping teachers kind of connect with parents yeah. and recognize the role that they can play. So let's talk about that a Thank little bit. Thank you. What a good interview, Molly. I love <laughs> it. I, I got to pay you for this one. Um, it's It's been a lot of fun. The last two years I've been working with, uh, I have a business partner from Argentina who's a, a businessman, has nothing to do with education. Every other word out of his mouth is an F-bomb. Uh, we couldn't be more opposite. But... Um, we we formed a company a couple of years ago called Read Better in 67 Steps, where I, I filmed all these videos which go out to parents every day for 67 consecutive days to teach their kids why to read. I mean, I think schools do a decent job of teaching kids how to read, but what good is it teaching a kid how to read if they never want to read? And so uh, the two numbers that I emphasize to parents are... People always ask, well, why is it 67 days? There's a lot of researchers that'll say, oh, it takes 21 days to, to change a habit. And to those people, I say, well, show me the actual research on that. I know it's a complete fabrication. I actually know what the book that it comes from. It comes from a great book in the ninth, it was actually written in 1960 called Psycho-Cybernetics by Dr. Maxwell Maltz. He was a plastic surgeon. And in the preface of his book, he said he noticed it took most of his uh, plastic surgeon surgery patients about 21 days to get used to their new face. Well, a lot of personal development people, people I respect, people like Tony Robbins and Brian Tracy, they started using that number as it only takes 21 days to change a habit. Well, there's a problem with that. That's, um, that's very dangerous because let's say you went on a diet for 21 days, you stuck to your diet, but on day 22, you break back into your old habits. Well, you blame yourself. And that's wrong because there's nothing that you did wrong. The research doesn't support that. And so uh, I always tell people uh, whenever I cite research, Harvard did the study because it sounds much more legitimate that way. So Harvard did a study back in 2009 with uh, habit formation, and they found it took anywhere from 18 to 254 days to change a habit. The average was 66. I don't like the number 66, so I'm throwing in a bonus day, 67. But it, it depended on the type of habit. So if you want to drink a glass of water before dinner, that might take 18 days to make that a habit. But quitting smoking would take 254 days. 
I found in doing this for 25 years and training over 30,000 parents how to do this with their kids really only takes about a, a little bit of over a month to really make reading into a habit, but we're making the program into 67 days. The second number that's important for parents to remember is 20 minutes. That when we looked at reading scores around the world, we wanted to figure out what what was it that uh, distinguished successful readers. And, and researchers found something astonishing. They looked at the number of minutes spent reading outside of school. They looked at the low kids, the average kids, and the high kids. So the, the kids in the 20th percentile average less than a minute a day of reading outside of school. That's not really that surprising. That's why they're at the bottom of the class. But the kids in the 70th percentile, the average, the middle of the road kids, they averaged only 9.6 minutes a day outside of school. So when I'm doing a parent training, this is when the room gets really quiet and the first hand raises and the parent's like, wait a sec, you're telling me if I can get my kid to read 10 minutes a day, I can take him from an F to a C? And I can reply, yeah, I'm exact. that's exactly what I'm saying. The research supports that. But the 90th percentile, this was really fascinating. The kids at the top, how much time do they spend reading outside of school? Is it three hours a day? No. Is it one hour a day? No. The average was just under 21 minutes. And so the number I'm always telling parents is I'm going to help you find those 20 minutes a day and they don't have to be consecutive. And so my whole strategy approach is, uh, you know, for example, I'll say, hey, if it takes you 10 minutes each way to take your kid to school, why don't you put a book on tape on the car? You're getting your 20 minutes that way. Turn on the closed captioning on the TV. That's a great way to integrate it. You know, uh, the average American spends 15 minutes a day on the toilet. Put some reading materials next to the toilet. So just trying to give people simple things that they can use. And it is interesting because when we created the company two years ago, I was I was going to create this product for the Christian homeschool market. And uh, the guy that was editing the videos is in Venezuela. And he mentioned to my business partner, he said, oh, uh, my son really likes the videos. And my business partner's like, what are you talking about? He said, well, my son, he's been watching the videos as I edit them, and he thinks Danny's funny. He's been teaching it to his friends. My business partner's like, what are you, what are you talking about? The videos are meant for the parents, not the kids. He's like, well, my kid likes Danny. He thinks he's funny. And he's like, wait a sec, does your kid speak English? No, no, he only speaks Spanish, but he gets Danny's gestures, and he, he's figured out a lot of stuff. And so the great thing about my business partner is he then translated all the videos into Spanish. So now we have it in English and Spanish. We started it in Argentina and Costa Rica. Uh, then we, um, uh, my business partner used to do a lot of business in India, and one of his old associates called him up to pitch him some new product. And my business partner was like, no, that's stupid. Let me show you this great product. And within an hour and a half, he had convinced this guy to quit his other job and to open up a, an office in Chennai, India for us. So now we have uh, 23 salespeople throughout India. I spent a month in India last January. Um, it, it was just an amazing experience. And so now we're in India, we're in Costa Rica, Argentina, and most recently Egypt. And of course, uh, I, I'm spreading it across the United States. That is awesome. awesome. Thank you. So trying to think so many little tidbits that I was pondering while you were talking. Um, and by the way, in case there's background noise that I'm not going to edit out of this, um, Danny is very graciously sitting on the floor in a hallway <laughs> because the key didn't work. And so we just sat down on the floor and we're going to record in the hall. I think that would actually be a good title what? for the podcast is <laughs> the key didn't work. That's a good name for a podcast. <laughs> The key didn't work, but it doesn't matter. We're, you know what? It's actually, that's what any great teacher understands. You got to be flexible and roll with the punches. So uh, that's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs>
Yep, as teachers, we just roll with the punches. Um, well, while I'm still pondering, I was thinking this morning, I wrote something down because you commented on the only good use for a textbook is mm -hmm. to prop the door open. And I think you're missing out on some really great uses. Mm -hmm. Like in my science classroom, the kids think they are great platforms to put ramps on <laughs> to do yeah. physics tests. Yep. So just so you know, I think that is actually the best. Hey, and there's always some kid that likes a textbook. Don't get me wrong on that. To me, the most important thing is, is matching the kid with the book. I mean, if that's what, uh, you know... I kind of was nerdy like that when I was a kid. Uh, back before Google, there was a thing called World Book Encyclopedia. Mm -hmm. and I used to just sit there for hours just looking up random Cliff Clavin-like information in the World Book. So if that's what a kid likes, by all means, use it. Uh, I've always advocated that with parents is you got to follow whatever your kid's interested in. Uh, I have three children of my own. Uh, a high schooler, a middle schooler, and an elementary school student, and they all have such diverse interests. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it makes me admire my mother so much because uh, I was recently talking to my mom about football, and she's like, oh, I hate football. I'm like, what do you mean you hate football? You talked to me my entire childhood about football. And her response was, you have a couple of sons that, uh, if you have a couple of sons who are teenagers, the way you get to talk to them is you talk about football. And that just made me, uh, that just made me really love her. I thought that was fascinating. That's a, a very dedicated uh, parent. Um, so I'm, I'm glad we had that little conversation because then I got reminded of a couple things I was thinking about that you were talking about before. Um, so first you had talked about, you know, letting them read whatever they want. And my husband, when we talk about him as a reader mm -hmm. and he will read books but very very rarely he reads things online every day he goes right. and reads his music news he's mm -hmm. very into music news he's always up on things that are going on in terms of movies and comic books and video games um and he tells me all the time he's a good reader because mm -hmm. Back in the day, they didn't have all these voice recordings for video games. So you had to read your video games. Like <laughs> well, everything go. was reading. Great. And so, you know, just thinking about what are those access points for any kid? Mm -hmm. um, being a comic reading household, we actually have comics decorating multiple rooms in the house. So I actually share comics with kids too. So I've got all kinds, like I'll bring them in and it drives my husband crazy because he's that type A person mm -hmm. that, you know, everything yes. has to be perfectly boarded and plastic and whatever. <laughs> um and he's like, don't let the kids ruin the comics. And I'm like, it's just a comic. It costs a few dollars. We can get another. He's like the Will Ferrell character in the Lego movie. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll bring in the comics and be like, okay, you have to read this one. And, you know, some well, kids, comics that's are great. what they connect with. One of my advisors when I was a doctoral student at University of Southern California was Stephen Krashen, who, uh, if you ever have a chance to watch him speak, he cracks me up. He's a great speaker, but he's one of the world's foremost authorities on language, uh, language acquisition and uh, reading. He has a great book called The Power of Reading, and he's actually done studies on the influence of comic books. And there's research to show that uh, when Fantastic Four came out in the 1960s, actually reading scores went up because so many kids, and, and if you just look at the vocabulary used in a typical uh, comic book, 
I mean, you you have like four or five syllable, syllable words, these, especially with your background in science, you get all these scientific, oh, the, the kryptonite is going to destroy the thermonuclear, you know, it's pretty amazing stuff. And so uh, when a person says they're reading comic books, I'm like, well, that's great. I, had a, I was recently speaking in New Jersey to a, a middle school and this woman came up to me afterwards and she's like, well, can you help my, uh, my son? He, uh, all he does is read comic books. I'm like, well, How's he doing in school? She's like, well, he's straight A's. I'm like, what's your problem? Yeah. <laughs> well, and the thing I think, you know, t a lot of teachers don't know, and I think this is changing, is that, you know, like you said, there's fewer words there. And so the word choice has to be so purposeful. And, mm -hmm. you know, so it's frequently really good writing because there's limited amount of words that they can put in there and granted they don't have to describe everything because there's pictures and there's other things you know other elements that show um some of the things they need to understand but um if you want to talk about inference kids who read comics mm -hmm. are the best at I inference because they have to sort of put all those pieces together and infer what's happening from this panel to that panel because it's not just said outright. Mm -hmm. And so there's, you know, amazing skills they can develop from comics. Um, so yeah, I've, I, I like that genre. I think it's underused. I actually had a colleague, this is horrible to say, thankfully she's no longer around because she would tell kids like, you can't have a comic and um, limit what books they could have in their desk. And yeah, know, I, really I, frustrating to me. I, would, I <laughs> have no problem getting rid of teachers like that. I, our job as teachers is to be cheerleaders and to really uh, encourage children's curiosity. And I, I, that's really kind of one of my problems with the curricula is if a kid's bored with something, you know, a good teacher should recognize that and say, well, what are you interested in and design the curricula specifically around that kid? And I understand when you have, when I first started teaching kindergarten, I had 48 in my AM, I had 43 in my PM. And since I was a guy, they gave me all boys. That's when I started drinking. Um, but those kids are all different. And it's my job to figure out, well, this is what gets this kid excited. One boy likes comics. One boy loves Denver Bronco football. One boy loves rocks and minerals. One boy loves stegosauruses. I got to figure out, you know, and that's just the boys. The girls are completely different. Uh, uh, I became sexist once I became a teacher because I, I really started to realize how stupid boys are. Uh, they're very... Uh, they're very humiliating to my entire gender. I, I love the girls. Um, it was actually a moment I was speaking in India uh, all of January, and I spoke to this all-girls school of 5,000 girls, just incredible, all leaning in, just with their eyes all open. What wisdom did I have for them? And these two girls spoke after they, I spoke with afterwards. They were both seniors. One wanted to be a lawyer. One wanted to be a teacher. I said, well, that's great. Are you going to go to university here? Or maybe you'll go to England or to the United States? And they said, oh, no, no, we're girls. We, we're not allowed out of here. And that changed the entire speech. So at the end of my speech, I said, all right, ladies, now is your moment. You know, India within the next five years is going to become the largest country on the planet. You know, uh, you're a very young democracy, only 70 years old, yet you've already elected a woman prime minister. America still hasn't had a woman president. I'm like, right now there's twice as many women in India as there are people in the United States. Right now there's more people in India with a graduate level degree than there are people in the United States. Now is your time. And I, I think that's what 
my passion's always been as a teacher is really especially working with kids that nobody else believes in them. I always tell my kids, you know, sometimes you need somebody else to believe in you before you believe in yourself. And uh, I truly believe as a teacher, every one of my kids is going to change the world. And I think that's what all of us have to do every day is say, hey, this is it. <laughs> Absolutely. Totally agree with that. And although I'd love to keep talking with you, I'm yep, looking at the time done. and I'm like, oh, no, you've got to go. So okay. thank Good. you All right. so much, Danny, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank this you. And awesome. thank you. And, and make sure everybody gets a copy of my book, Read, Lead, and Succeed. Doc. They can get it at readleadandsucceed.com. Um, all kinds of great little tips there. And if you, anybody ever needs needs me for anything, my, my last name's really, it's Danny Brussel. My last name's easy to remember. It's spelled like bras. Sell. I, I never had any grief over that as a child. So okay. I really love it. I, I, I love being around uh, all these great reading teachers and uh, dedicated librarians here in Colorado. Just holler whenever you need anything. Awesome. Thanks for all this you do. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it, Molly. Thanks for listening to CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. To find out more about CCIRA, go to CCIRA.org. On CCIRA.org, you can join as a member or find great resources like our professional development blog, which posts every Tuesday and has a variety of guest writers on an awesome selection of topics. CCIRA is a professional organization of educators and community members dedicated to the promotion and advancement of literacy. To meet a wide variety of audience members, we also have a Twitter account at Colorado Reading, you can find us on Instagram at CCIRA underscore Colorado Reading. Or you can find us on Facebook, where we also have a members-only group that we're trying to build. And our Facebook account is CCIRA Colorado Reading. We'd love to hear more from you. And again, if you're looking for new content, please send any questions or things you'd be interested in seeing from CCIRA to CCIRAvideo at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and have a great week.